contrary to popular belief, professionalism is not dead on football and other F-words. Welcome to Football and Other F-Words. I'm your host, Michael Gillum. I am joined today by Michael Herndon. Zach Lyons is still off. He may be lost in the Gulf. We don't know, but he is out deep sea fishing. Isn't that where he is? See deep sea fishing? I think I think so. He is uh, he is fishing for uh, the great white whale, I guess. Yeah, either that or he's running from the Coast Guard in a cigarette boat. I, I want images, <laughs> whichever he's doing. Um, I'm, good. I'm good with that, too. We're brought to you by BroadwaySportsMedia.com. Uh, come check us out. I tell you this every week. If you have not checked us out by now, but you're still listening to this podcast, I'm actually kind of amazed on how you're doing that. So, you know, thank you. But please go check us out at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Grab yourself a membership. Mike, thank God, right before we hit record, A to Z combined with Brent Doherty of 104.5 are reporting that Jim Schwartz is going to join the Tennessee Titans as some sort of assistant, special assistant. Yeah, it sounds like senior assistant um now what that means to me what it sounds like is jim schwartz is taking the job that rabel offered dean pease or reportedly offered dean pease i think uh i think it was paul karski and, and i i didn't have time to look this up right before the show here but uh so if i'm miscrediting i, I apologize there but i think karski had the report that pease was offered uh an opportunity to come back to the titans but not as defensive coordinator um and i think that had to do with the amount of hours that he was you know able to work at his current age and health condition and and everything like that and that the titans or rabel i guess felt like he needed more time in the building or, or i guess more flexibility with work hours from his coordinator um versus what Pease was was you know willing to give him or able to give him um, so it sounds like Schwartz may be getting that role. Of course, you know, Schwartz being a Nashville native, this is a, a, probably a pretty sweet setup for him. Uh, good landing spot for him after, uh, you know, the Eagles uh, coaching staff all, all got fired up there. But, um, yeah, very, very, very interesting. And I think this might, you know, at least, you know, quell some of the heat on the the Bowen thing because this gives you a – experienced defensive coordinator who's had really good success at times in the NFL uh, as, as kind of a, a balancing uh, post against Shane Bowen's inexperience. So, and obviously we came into this today originally wanting to kind of, you know, we were going to get into Mike Vrabel and his press conference. These topics are going to kind of blend together because we don't really have much yeah. of a choice now, but how long before someone asks Vrabel who is actually the defensive coordinator? And who's got the balls oh. to ask it? I really hope it's John Glennon. <laughs> It'll be the next time. It'll be the next time they talk to him, right? I mean, like, that's going to be the question is, well, what's Jim Schwartz's role? How does he, you know, who's going to be handling the play calling for the defense? Is it going to be Vrabel? Is it going to be Bowen? Is it going to be Schwartz? Is it going to be a combination of the three? Is he going to have a headset on game days? You know, what's what's the situation? Like, Great. yep. all there's hope in Pandora's box that much wider. And I'll, I almost think maybe now, looking back on it, it's like, maybe that's why he was being so obtuse about like how Bowen's role would be different yesterday. You know, obviously this was probably in the works uh, yesterday when he was talking to the media. So maybe that's why he was going, well, I'm just not going to say anything 
about the defensive coordinator deal because we're about to bring in this other guy who's going to have a role. Um, so it, very interesting. And it throws a whole different spin on what we saw yesterday. And, and like my whole mindset changed like 15 minutes before we jump onto the podcast here. So what does this do for you personally? Just, just overreact a little bit for me. Does this, does this give you a little gleam of hope that maybe the defense is going to be, have, I don't know, more resources to be a little bit better than last year. What, what does it do for you? I, I like it. I mean, I I've always thought shorts was a good defensive mind. Like he's had some really, really good defenses uh, during his coaching career in Philly, obviously in Tennessee uh, under Jeff Fisher, which, you know, originally got him the, the opportunity to jump at a head coaching position uh, with the lions you know, and frankly, his time with the Lions ended up being relatively successful. The, the you know, 0-16 season, obviously notwithstanding, but um, he had some good seasons in Detroit. And um, yeah, I, I think this is a good thing. It certainly can't hurt uh, to have another experienced voice. You've now got two guys uh, on the staff in uh Schwartz and Hazlitt who have defensive coordinating experience so you've got Vrabel who has defensive coordinating experience Bowen called the plays last year so you got like four guys on the staff who have called plays at the NFL level now on defense and throwing those guys all in the mix and all of them come from like different backgrounds different defenses and stuff like that I, I feel like you've got a lot of ideas now how all that gets pulled together and and who ends up being the strongest voice I would imagine would be Vrabel obviously but uh you know how all those ideas come together and what pieces they pull because Schwartz ran a very different style defense in Philly and really his entire NFL career than what the Titans run here like obviously there's a difference between the Titans have been a 3-4 team all going all the way back to when LeBeau got hired here um you know and they've been a 3-4 team under Vrabel and in Dean Pease Schwartz has been a 4-3 staple. I mean, he he is a 4-3 guy through and through his entire NFL career. Um, he runs a very specific version of the 4-3 with that wide nine uh, kind of set up to, to let his defensive ends attack from the outside. Now, I don't think this necessarily means that the Titans, oh, now the Titans are going to be a 4-3 team. But the Titans were already running some 4-3 elements, so maybe this is – them bringing in an experienced 4-3 guy to, to say, all right, we're going to do a little bit more 4-3. We're going to be more multiple. They've always wanted to be multiple up front. So, you know, I think that's kind of where this is going is they're just going to throw a lot of ideas into the hopper here and try to come up with the best of, of, of all of these different voices in the room now. So it's, it's an interesting approach. I feel a little bit better about the defensive staff now uh, with Schwartz on board than I did, you know, 15 minutes ago um, before I heard out, <laughs> heard this news. So I don't, yeah, I think you have to be a little bit encouraged that they're bringing in another voice from the outside who has different, very different ideas. This, this goes against the whole Vrabel once only yes, men and only guys who see it his way, you know, narrative that's been out there a little bit. So it's very interesting to see. So the beauty of recording these damn things is everything I'm about to say and speculate could be thrown in the trash by the time we record this as well, but I'll, I'll go nuts. Let's, let's think outside the box for a second. Is it a crime to only use Schwartz as a voice during the week while you're prepping and he doesn't have a headset on on the sidelines? Do you put a headset on this man and risk having 
Vrabel almost look at him as some kind of firewall and a stopgap of, do you agree with Bowen's approach here? I, I don't know. What, I, I know I'm getting too broad here in my question, but do you put a headset on this man or not? I, you know, I, I think you probably do because I, I think one benefit, you know, obviously this is a little bit different now that Bowen's not also juggling outside linebackers because I felt like last year that part of the problem could have been just the simple fact that, look, you've got Bowen's responsible for the outside linebackers. You got Vrabel, who's the head coach. So when the defense is on the sidelines after a series, you know, Bowen's got to handle, all right, talking to the outside linebackers, what are you guys seeing? What do you guys need? You know, who's fresh, who's injured, who can go, you know, like, juggling all those tasks that you have to handle between series. And then he's got to also be ready to call the next series. Right. And Vrabel's doing all, all of his head coaching tasks. I feel like those guys were probably stretched a little thin on game day, especially given that Vrabel had one year of play calling experience and Bowen had zero um, going into it. So like, it's not like these guys were super experienced in this role anyway. So I think having shorts, having another set of eyes, if nothing else, you stick shorts up in the booth, um, and maybe you have Bowen down on the field and Schwartz has given Bowen, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is what they're doing. This, you know, this is what we need to do next series. And Bowen's able to incorporate some of those ideas and, and obviously bring his own view and what he's hearing from the players that are coming off the field. You know, I, I think it gives you more, but you've got to, you've got to have him have an influence on game day. I think. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's pivot a little bit and talk about, Mike Vrabel's press conference from yesterday. Of course, we were recording this on a Wednesday. Mike Vrabel had some press availability yesterday on a Tuesday. It is Wednesday, right? Am I insane? Or is it Tuesday? It's it's Tuesday. It's, it's My Tuesday. God. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's been a long week already, people, and it I'm is. not even done with Tuesday. It's, My it's second Monday. It's Mike, second Mike Vrabel was available on Monday to the press. We we're recording this on a Tuesday. Um, Nothing surprising came out of this, but of course there's all the usual stirrings of the fan base on Twitter, which I'm sure you're surprised about, but let's start with the first one. Um, Vrabel asked on what changes in draft evaluation process after the uh, uh, Isaiah William, my God, Wilson debacle. And he pretty much said nothing, uh, which was continue to do our due diligence and, and trust the process. Um, it's a bullshit answer. We know it's a bullshit answer, but does it bother you that he doesn't answer that question? A little bit. I mean, like, and and now I think with the, the Schwartz news, uh, you know, I, I think that changes a little bit of my view of this because I, I feel like now I, I looking back on it, it's like, okay, well, he didn't want to say anything specific about the role of the defensive coordinator because he had information, obviously, that no one else had that, they were about to add Jim Schwartz and that was going to yeah. change things. And he didn't, you know, he wasn't going to let that out of the bag in a press conference answer, but um, he did, you know, looking back on it, he did hint around at the idea that the staff may not be fully complete yesterday, which was interesting and eyebrow raising at the time, but I probably didn't give it a, as much attention as I probably should have um, looking back. Cause now obviously we know like this is, you know, this is happening. So yeah, I think it's it's frustrating, right? Because you want your coach to at least give you something. Like, I mean, the the Titans 
Titans fans aren't asking Vrabel to, to peel back the playbook and, and talk about the details of why they coach things specifically and how they're going to go about defeating their opponents. You know, he's not, they're not asking him to give away like the Coca-Cola secret recipe uh, in these press conferences. Right. But you could at least talk about like, Oh, this is why I felt good about promoting Shane Bowen to defensive coordinator. Like, yeah, I think that gripe still stands because you could talk about why you like Shane Bowen and what you may see in Shane Bowen that nobody else does uh, because, you know, he knows it's an unpopular hire. You could tell by the way the wording was placed in the, the article that the team released when Bowen and Downing were, were promoted. Downing, they talked about, oh, you know, his great work with the tight ends and stuff like that. And and in Bowen, you know, when he talked about Bowen, he talked about, well, we, we recognize, you know, there's some changes that need to be made, but we're going to work hard to, to correct some things and, 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 you know, maybe change, change the way that we do a few things uh, to, to get better next season. So he knows that it's not a popular hire. Um, I don't know what the harm would be in him just coming out and saying like, look, I, you know, Shane, you don't have to throw the players under the bus, obviously, and say like, well, uh, obviously we can't do anything with Wyatt Ray at, at outside linebacker. Like, I mean, he's not going to say that, but, you know, come out and say, well, Shane, you know, I, he's a very organized coach, you know, even if it's just platitudes, like give him something, give us something, some insight into why you did what you did. You know, I just, he sometimes I think gets too petty about protecting information and just not saying anything um, when he's asked a question that's asking him to reveal anything. And you know, I, I think that hurts him a little bit with the fan base because it is frustrating to hear as a fan because, like, that, that you want to know what's going on with the team. Why did you do this thing that makes no sense on paper? Um, I'm sure it makes sense to you, um, but we would like to have some – peel back the, the curtain a little bit and say, okay, this is why. This is, you know, this is, so, this is why I thought about it this way. I, so I, I'm conflicted on this because I, I've said multiple times in this podcast and stand by it that Mike's spiel, Mike's thing, and, and I don't even want to act like it's an act because I generally believe this is how he is, but it's fine and all when you're winning. When you start to lose, that it, it's no longer cute. It's infuriating, right? Right. But is that kind of a bullshit way to look at it? And I'll give this example. This is going to be a convoluted example. Just stick with me, right? Regardless of how you feel about politics, the Trump administration was pretty buck-ass wild. I mean, people <laughs> leaking. You never knew what you were going to get out of the mail when you got in front of a microphone. It was pretty buck-ass wild. In comparison, the Biden administration has been very boring. But a lot of people are criticizing the press right now because they're asking the Biden administration pretty crazy stories or questions because they don't have a lot of crazy stories to elaborate on. So people are hammering the press saying, you're just looking for something to talk about. So are the press just mad because they don't have anything to talk about with Mike Vrabel when things are or like with a coach, when things get bad, can we not have it both ways? Or do we just need to accept the fact that this is how sports reporting and press conferences are and stop trying to get actual real human responses out of someone like Mike Vrabel? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, an interesting question, right? Because, you know, their job is to get information for the fan base and, and to, to kind of be 
not the the voice of the fan necessarily, but to sure. be an advocate to, to getting information from the team to the fans. Like that, that's what the media is. They are a pipeline of information from the team to the fans. So, you know, they're trying to get the information that they think is valuable to the fan base and Vrabel's not willing to provide it. So, I mean, I don't know. You could, I, I think, there is an approach you've got to at some point re- recognize that yes, it, it would be nice if Rabel would answer these types of questions, but you, at some point three years in now to the Vrabel experience, we know he's not going to answer certain types of questions like right. injury questions, stuff like that. So like at some point, do you change your approach and say, all right, well, we're going to go about this a different way. We're going to ask him different, different questions because we, we don't, value there we're getting no value out of the questions that we are asking even if they are valid like so i guess it, it would be i'd be interested to talk to like you know a pk or john glennon or one of these kind of veteran guys about their their view of how that relationship is and, and why you know if they see value in continuing to ask questions that they know he's not really going to answer or he, that he's going to give some crappy answer to is, is it worth it to just keep bait, beating on him until hopefully he crags or you know or do they feel like it, it's their responsibility to do to keep asking those questions regardless of whether he's going to answer them yeah and and to you know, go back to the point i was making earlier about and and this is for another debate another time with i'm never going to discuss it on this podcast because it's not politics but uh, yeah obviously reporters walk a fine I've heard Paul say this before. I don't want to attribute it to him if he is not, but basically you try to find different angles of asking questions at press conferences because essentially most of the press is coming in there with a limited number of questions they're going to be able to ask anyway. And probably, especially right now in the off season where you, you just don't have a lot to talk about anyway, you're trying to find different angles, different ways to ask a question to see if they do crack. All of a sudden you've gotten a piece of information out of it and a little selfishly because you've gotten a story. But I kind of, you know, I it, where I sympathize with the coaches and, the, and teams a little bit is it's not in their best interest to give too much information. The coaches especially are hired and fired with a quickness in this league. You don't want to show any kind of crack in that armor that can maybe lead to a story that leads to a reoccurring problem and topic you're talking about all season, right? And Isaiah Wilson is a great example of that. You know, when when he answers the question and says, you know, should we have done something different in the evaluation process? I mean, in all due respect, well, what's he supposed to say that? Oh yeah. We, we clearly dicked up the recruiting process. It didn't find what we needed to find about him. Right. Hell no. They're not going to admit that because that's kind of admitting a little fault. That's another narrative. The press can run with all season. And that may be something that sticks in the GM or the owner's ear where they think, I mean, damn, y'all really, Missed the boat with Isaiah Wilson and look how far this set us back if things go to hell. So I, I kind of sympathize with the coaching a little bit, but I also sympathize with the press because I, as a fan, want to be entertained. And how I'm entertained with these god awful press conferences in the middle of offseason is getting the coach or getting the GM to say something a little off the wall, right? I mean, if John Robinson cracks and goes, Isaiah Wilson's a bum and we should have never drafted him, you're like, son of a bitch, inject that into my veins. I want to read more of that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I frankly would love, love a response like that right? every now and then, 
Uh, God, I could kiss my ass. It's like, yeah, yes, there uh, it is. Finally. Yeah, yeah. Get the hell out of here. Wilson. You <laughs> asshole. Um, and I feel like you're never going to get that out of Rabel. Like Rabel is very collected. Like he'll get frustrated, but he's not going to get frustrated and give stuff away. Like if anything, he gets frustrated and clams up more. Um, so it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's funny. And, and the Wilson thing, it is tough because you don't want to totally, it's not a great look to the team to just completely dump on the guy after he goes out the door. Like it's not a great look, you know, for you to invest a first round draft pick in a guy and then less than a year later, be just totally dogging him on the way out, you know, especially, you know, if he's dealing with, and I think some of the, you know, pitying of Isaiah Wilson goes way too far, frankly, but especially if he's dealing with like legitimate issues, um, you don't want to be, it's just not a good look for the team, you know, whatever, however way you want to look at it. But yeah, I mean, I don't think it's wrong to admit, Hey, we had some issues last year with guys coming in that didn't, didn't mesh well. And yeah, we've changed our process. You don't have to say how you changed your process. I know reporters will dig on that, but you could just say, all right, we've changed, we've changed some things internally about how we evaluate guys to look at our, and you don't even have to be specific to Beasley and Wilson, just say, looking at our previous misses, and our previous hits, where we got guys right, where we got guys wrong, how we can get more guys right moving forward. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. I think that's an expectation that every team is doing that at all times. But you could give an answer like that that would be a little bit more enlightening than, no, everything's fine. We, we did everything right. Like, things just didn't work out. Like, that, that's – I don't know. I, I feel like that's a little bit – just being argumentative for the sake of being argumentative, right? Sorry, I live in a condo complex. There are dirt bikes just oh. going through the yards. This is not a dirt bike community. I don't know what just happened here. Well, Scared the absolute hell out of me. Um, yeah, <laughs> dirt bikes. You know, yeah. I mean, and and the thing I is, is well. as a fan, you got to trust that like guys like Robinson, they don't get these jobs without being high functioning, almost CEO C suite type individuals who know how to self-evaluate and make changes with the best of them. I mean, you got to believe that after this Isaiah Wilson debacle, there was some absolute self-reflection in that front office of, A, I guarantee they probably went to the scout or to Georgia and said, we need to discuss what the hell is going on here because you clearly didn't tell us some stuff. But 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 in reality, there was definitely some self-evaluation there. But um and I think that's that's that brings us to kind of another point. I see people take Vrabel and Robinson at their word in these press conferences. Like literally, this is what they said in the press conference. So this is exactly what they're doing. They say stuff in these press conferences all the time that they are either being intentionally misleading or maybe not intentionally misleading. They are intentionally saying stuff that does not reveal plans that are currently in the works right so like they may have stuff going on that they're changing or that they're doing behind the scenes but they're not necessarily wanting to come out and say you know x y and z and i'm not talking specifically about changing the way you look at a draft uh prospect or or a beasley signing or whatever but you, you have to be careful about what you listen to when these guys talk because 
a lot of times they're just saying stuff because they're they're trying to get through the interview, right? Like they're not right. like I know somebody said something about you know John Robinson talked about you know didn't didn't want to do any restructures if he didn't have to. Of course he doesn't want to have to do any restructures if he doesn't have to. No GM in the NFL wakes up and is like, I really want to restructure some deals and kick some money down the road that I'm going to have to pay for in future seasons. They they would love to have to to not have to touch any of these contracts and just let them run uh, because that's the quickest way you get through them and, and can, you know, guarantee yourself more cap space in the future. But I don't think he, that's him saying I'm not going to do any restructures. It's him saying he doesn't want to, um, you know, that there's a very big difference between what you will do uh, and what you want to do. Right. Like, so if, if he has to, uh, to make the contracts work and everything like that. I think he will, I, you know, it doesn't mean that he wants to, and it doesn't make him a liar for saying, I don't want to do restructures either. So I think you just have to be careful. All these guys kind of speak in coded language. They all think they're like, I think it's kind of funny to some degree because NFL teams operate like little spy uh, agencies and they're all like, you know, versions of the CIA for different countries. And they're gathering intel and putting out smoke screens, especially this time of year with, with the draft and everything and free agency out there. Like people are, there, there are definitely reporters who are getting fed information that is legitimately, that is intentionally false uh, because teams want to make other teams believe that they're going to go after this guy or that they're not going to draft that guy or whatever, so that they can end up with the guy that they want. So you just got to be careful out there with what some of these guys say in the media. Right. Uh, to sum it up, it's off season, guys. Like, we get it. I mean, we don't have a lot to talk about on this podcast today because it's the freaking off season. So don't hang on these guys' words on, on every single word and syllable. They are they are doing a run-out-the-clock situation. If any of you all listening have had to do endless conference calls, which I just called off of one before I got on here, Definitely some run out of the clock situation on that one. Um, so one final note on Isaiah Wilson, since Zach is not here, I'm going to talk about him all I want. Um, <laughs> Isaiah Wilson was paid a $924 performance bonus last year for his one snap where he fell on his ass. I love that there are performance bonuses tied into the CBA, but basically to quote Paul Garski directly, Anything that finds Isaiah Wilson's four snaps, a PAT and three kneel downs worthy of any financial reward is a broke is broken or a joke. I'm sorry. He's exactly right. Yeah. Oh, they, they need to go get that 924 specifically from him. Not $924. How many minutes in the strip club do you think that is for Isaiah Wilson? That's definitely 30 seconds. You can measure that $924 <laughs> in seconds. Uh, by the way, still on social media, still apparently drinking lean. Good luck, buddy. That's not yeah, going well for you. What a mess. Um, before I let you go, what are you watching right now? On what? TV? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, besides like the NCAA tournament stuff, um, I did the uh, uh, whole Netflix documentary on the college admission scandal. How damn good is that? It was amazing. Like That, that is amazing. So good. If you don't whole, know, uh, if you don't know what Mike's talking about, it's on Netflix. I think it's literally called the college admissions scandal. It's kind of a documentary slash reenactment, but they do all the actors speak the lines exactly as they were written in the FBI wiretaps. And it's phenomenal. Even if you knew a little bit about this story, you will learn so much more and it's going to infuriate you, especially for any of those that it's going to absolutely infuriate you. It's fantastic. Um, 
I'll tell you one not to watch on Netflix is The Last Blockbuster. It was a waste of my oh, time. Oh, yeah. I watched that too. I was like, what's the point? Like they, they spent like all this time. Like I was like, when we got to the end of it, I enjoyed like the nostalgia thing for like yeah. about 30 minutes. I was like, this could have been an hour shorter than yeah. it was. Like fast, just fast down, forward. Like a yeah, third. fast forward 20 minutes into it where they start talking about the actual demise of Blockbuster and how it went down. Right. I enjoyed and stop that. watching the last 45 minutes of it where they just continually talk about, oh, the smell of Blockbuster. Yeah. And then this, and then who's the director of Super Size Me goes out there and it's this painfully long scene of him walking around going, yeah. oh, I recognize this movie. Oh, it was so much fun to come in and rent videotapes too. We covered that in the first hour. I hate, I hated the whole, like everything after the part where they actually explained how Netflix and, and Blockbuster and like, the whole climate uh, that, that kind of led to Blockbuster going under, I had no idea about a lot of that stuff. And that was really interesting. But you can stop watching. As soon as they move off of that topic, yeah. you can stop watching it and you'll enjoy it a lot more probably. Because like you get a little bit of the nostalgia hit, you get some good actual information and you lose the 45 minutes of like just waste of time, hot breath uh, coming out of that, that pot or that, uh, <laughs> that documentary. <laughs> Yeah, let, let me let me spoil the end for you. There is still one blockbuster left. It's in Bend, Oregon. There are no more blockbusters in, in Alaska. It's only the one in Bend, Oregon. And Dish Network, who now owns Blockbuster, extended their agreement. So it's going to stay there. The end. Don't worry about the last 45 minutes of that terrible documentary. Yeah, it, it was so bad. <laughs> and I, I got to the point where like- I was so mad. I wasted all that time on it. I was too far in. I felt like mm -hmm. to just stop watching because I was like, they might have something really cool saved for the end of this. And I just kept, and by the end of it, I was just like looking at my phone, like with it in the background, like just kind of glancing up every now and then to see if they'd moved on to anything interesting and they never did. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for us today. I know we didn't have a lot for you, just, just under 30 minutes here, but frankly, it's off season. We don't want to talk about. So while you may have to be upset that we don't have more content from you, listen, I want you to feel sorry for us because we have to get up tomorrow and do this again for an entire radio show. So I already don't know what I'm going to talk about for the third segment. I'm going to have to make some things up. Yeah. Um, I am uh, Michael Gillum. My co-host is Michael Herndon. We are Football and Other F-Words, brought to you by BroadwaySportsMedia.com. Go check us out. Grab yourself a membership. And for all of us here, and even Zach, who's in the Gulf doing God knows what, we hope you're having a good day. And you've just yeah. been effed. Broadway Sports Media Production.